This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. On this post-Thanksgiving Friday, I'm very pleased to introduce Adam Bratt. Adam is the co-founder of Indio Technologies. Indio Technologies provides the PNC insurance industry, the agencies, the tools for operationalizing inefficiencies and delivering a top-rate client experience. Uh, it's a white labeling platform, and I think we're going to have a lot to talk about it, including a reference. One of my friends who's very high on Indio, I'm going to give you a quote in a few minutes, Adam, but welcome to Profiles and Risk. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. I kick off every episode by allowing my guest to uh, do an elevator pitch. So uh, we, we have interviewed Indio Technologies in the past. Michael Furlong was a guest last year. He was one of our first guests. So uh, it'll be good to, good to be able to get an update from you. But in your own words, how would you describe Indio Technologies? Indeed. Uh, yes, yeah, so Indio basically sits uh, kind of between the, the carrier and the client um, and is basically an agent-facing platform where the agent can log in uh, and send applications to their client to complete online sort of like a TurboTax feel, getting rid of all the paper PDFs. Um, and then once they've got all the information filled out, they can send that to an underwriter and kind of manage that whole communication process from getting the initial information from the client all the way to, uh, you know, passing it off to an underwriter and handling any communication back and forth questions all the way through. So I'm going to read a quote. So my good friend Brett has, is standing up an insurance agency and I recalled, before we set up this interview, I recalled that he told me he was going to be using Indio. So I double-checked with him. He confirmed that he did. And uh, I'm going to give you a couple quotes. Uh, it'll, it'll be key in my digital, in quotes, setup. And then he said, and I asked him, well, what attracted you to it? And he said, intuitive, tons, parentheses, 3,300 question mark, built-in applications, you can pre-populate and clear unnecessary fields. No double entry. Answers in one form, fill in other docs. Real-time ability to see where customers are at on apps. And relatively inexpensive for the value. I'm guessing if uh, when you had started Indio, if you had gotten that kind of endorsement, uh, if I told you that kind of endorsement was going to arrive when you first started, you'd probably be pretty pleased. Oh yeah, we would have been ecstatic. Um, yeah, I mean, it was something where you know, like any company, when you first start out, it's uh, it's always a little bit of a gamble to to see if you're going to be figuring out the right idea there. So how do you, how do you do it? Um, we'll we'll start. We'll go um, at some point into why you started it, but how does it happen? How do you how do you make the decisions? It's uh, in your LinkedIn plat, uh, description. It says white label platform comes armed with two thousand. Now it's three thousand digitally enhanced smart insurance applications, auto-generated proposal tools, full e-signature solutions, 
and secure document sharing. So how did you st- how did you go from where you started, which was probably like one application, to this this basically this arsenal of digital tools for uh, for agencies? Yeah. So uh, I mean, really, it's kind of been a consistent process all the way through. I mean, the, the same process we started with originally is sort of the same process we do today. Uh, and that's just spending tons and tons of time um, sitting down with agencies in their offices and kind of seeing how they work. Uh, and that's something we do with both the small agencies as well as the large agencies, because there's things that vary between the different sizes of an agency and the different types of clients that they work with. But a lot of it has just been, you know, getting that feedback, seeing how people uh, use things. And, you know, the biggest thing for us in regards to the forms was just seeing how much time was spent filling out forms, sending them back and forth, going through, checking things, trying to comment on a particular question, you know, making sure that you and the client were both talking about the same question, just a, a lot of back and forth there with the insureds um, that we realized right away was something that we needed to, to make a lot better. Um, and so when we went into it, we also started taking kind of an, a snapshot of, okay, what are all the different forms that are needed? And there's obviously the Accord forms, but there's just thousands and thousands of these carrier supplementals and, you know, questionnaires that agencies might have with their specific questions that they want to ask for, you know, the types of clients they focus on. Um, and all of those things need to be digitized in order to provide a fully online experience. Yeah. So in the, in the latest episode of Rough Notes, Roger Sitkins, who's uh, a recurring columnist on agencies and on production, talked about the difference between like a silver level agency, a gold level agency, a platinum level agency. And at the platinum level, I was very impressed because they were, it was his description of how things get done in a platinum level agency was essentially that the brokers act as underwriters. You know, they're pre underwriting everything. They're, um, they're submitting applications and underwriting questionnaires to the underwriter, the way the underwriter wants them uh, filled out complete it seems like Indio is like part and parcel of that. Indio is almost Indio technology uh, sort of provides a lot of the digital technologies to for agencies to reach that platinum level. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's something like it's interesting kind of hearing you talk about those different level of agencies because we see the same thing when we go in just in terms of what that relationship is like today in terms of being the underwriter. You know, there's some agencies that, might have, uh, you know, too much coming in that they're, they're growing really fast or they just, uh, you know, have been trying to hire more people. And as a result, they might not have that same inbuilt knowledge on here's where we need to go with these underwriters. And these are the types of questions they ask. Um, and then you go into other agencies and, you know, the, uh, the agents as well as the account managers know exactly like these are the five questions for this particular type of uh, insurance that are really going to determine the price for these different carriers uh, and they know how to, to work with those and, and which carriers to go f- to for that. Uh, and that's something that eventually, you know, we're working on building more and more intelligence into the platform. So those kind of that knowledge base of stuff that lives in people's heads today uh, is something that anybody that uses NDO can see. Yeah. So you um, you've probably have interviewed and seen hundreds, if not thousands of agencies. Um, <laughs> i I would guess, like, I, I, re, I recall, um, you know, uh, years ago reading how FedEx was building a consulting arm to their company because they, they were so, not only were they good at delivering packages, they became so good at logistics that they started doing consulting for logistics, you know, beyond just delivery. I would guess it would almost be uh, similar in your regard. You've, you've seen such a broad breadth of, 
uh, different types of agencies, different sizes, different geographies, different focuses, different niches, that you've, uh, you've de almost developed an expertise on how agencies operate and separating out the good ones from the bad ones. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, one of the things that I've done probably more than anything else when I've sat down with uh, account managers and agents is really just mapping out what's the workflow like for the renewals, right? So, you know, some agencies send out a pre-renewal checklist. Other ones, you know, it just starts with a, a meeting with the client and there's kind of taking that whole flow all the way through to the point where you're binding, sending out certificates and all of that. And just kind of seeing that different um, progression at different agencies is really interesting because I don't think there's any one agency that necessarily has the, you know, the true all end all, this is the way that it should be. Um, it really just varies based on kind of their niche and what they're doing. We've seen some, you know, some agencies who have very interesting setups where um, some it's a little bit more of like a, a squad where they have, you know, one person that does the marketing, one person that does the communications with the client, one person that does all of the, uh, you know, renewal servicing and another person that works on kind of the, uh, you know, intra-year servicing. Uh, and in other ones, you have one person that does all of those different things. And it really just depends on the clientele um, of the agency in terms of how they're set up. So, uh, Adam, I wanted to go back to the beginning of time, which is, uh, in your case, when Indio first started. Uh, you, you made a big bet. You're betting, you know, there are a lot of insure techs that would enjoy carving out the agency system. There are a lot of insure techs that don't think the agency system actually brings very much value at all to the system. They just see the commission, just say, we need to remove that expense. You guys made a big bet on the agency system. It's, uh, I was wondering if you could go back to uh, when you first started with Michael. I don't know if you had any other co-founders as well, but talk about why you decided to make that bet. Why you, why you thought, the you know, obviously the, you think the agency system is going to be around for a while, you built a business model around it. What was some of your calculus around uh, that decision? Yeah, so a lot of it just came from, you know, our first sort of conversations and sitting down with agents. Because I think anybody that comes from the tech sector, which, you know, both of us had experience in kind of fintech before, not specifically in insurance, um, you look at what goes on in the insurance world and, you know, you see the, the Geico's and the progressives that are online and you go into a commercial insurance agency and your first thought is like, you know, they're going to be eliminated someday, right? Like this is, this process is going to be replaced. Uh, and then you sit down and you start talking to people and you realize the agent's not going anywhere. Uh, Cause no one that ever has a $50,000 policy is going to go onto a website, put their credit card in and call it good. You know, you want a person there. You want that kind of, financial advisor type um, role uh, with that agent who's basically, you know, helping you and consulting your business. And even in, you know, the last 10 years, there's been a bunch of different attempts to bring more commercial business direct and, you know, streamline that process online. Um, but even then, it's only chipped away at maybe 1% um, of the overall volume that's going through. And it's not going to expand that much in the next few years. You might see, you know, these $500 policies, uh, you know, the yoga studio, that type of stuff go more direct. Um, but for any business that's, that's got more than a few employees and really the, you know, the real clients that agencies are going after, um, they're not going anywhere just because it's a complicated process. Um, you know, I've had to get insurance before in the past and commercial insurance is just something that you're never taught about. You never really learn about. Um, you know, it's something that you do need that helping hand going through, uh, especially when you get outside of things that you're more familiar with. Um, you know, like maybe commercial auto and basic property might make a little bit more sense. But um, as you get into things like workers comp and, you know, E&O and D&O, 
those are all things that no one's ever heard of before until they know that they need it. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, smart insurance applications. You actually, uh, you actually mentioned uh, in one of your answers how, um, from an underwriting perspective, there are certain questions that are more important than other questions. Um, where, where is this going? Where is this, this, the smart part of the insurance application going? I, 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 I sort of envision this, Adam, as, um, you know, when you, uh, when you create a password and you start typing your password and it starts telling you how secure that password is, it's like from weak to moderate to strong to very strong. Will we get to the point where um, your the applications are going to be so smart that it's going to be uh, similar in that regard? In that, like you can answer a few questions, like the key ones, like you absolutely must answer these questions, and then you start to blend in others that can then you know take it from weak to to moderate to strong to very strong, and maybe even rate it. Like, how do you, how do you, if you peer in your crystal ball, what do you see when it comes to these smart applications and linking the, the, the uh, transportation of uh, information from the client to the agent to the underwriter for the, for the policy issuance? Yeah. So we've got kind of an interesting data set to play with, um, you know, working with so many different agencies and working with so many different carrier forms. Uh, so when I look at that data set, we have over, I think there's over a million instances of fields. It's like 1.2, 1.3 million now um, across, uh, you know, the number is always going up, but it's probably around 3,500 different forms now. Um, so, you know, there's somewhere around 300 different questions on your average uh, application. Um, and then you take that down a little bit further out of that data set of, you know, 1.2, 1.3 million, there's about uh 150,000 unique questions, right? So what we've done is when we map information in, anything that's similar, you know, uh, questions that are worded the same way, we'll, we'll kind of group those together. And if you fill out one, it's going to fill it out in any other form that has the same question. Um, and really what we've seen is there's, there's really like a set of about 1,000 to 2,000 questions. Um, a lot of them are the same ones that are on the, the Accord forms. Um, some of them are just things that are specific to different types of insurance. You know, if you're a contractor, there's certain questions that are on every carrier's contractor application. Um, and so the real data set of things that are getting filled out a lot by uh, insureds is really something around, you know, just a few thousand questions. And there's all these extraneous ones that, you know, some carrier wants to know this, you know, one carrier wants to know this. And a lot of times if you're looking at those questions, um, you know that that carrier must have had a big loss on that because it's a very, you know, specific question. Um, that you don't see asked on any of the other carriers for that particular industry. Um, and what we see is kind of seeing the data as we see people filling out these forms and what gets filled out. Uh, traditionally, if you talk to a carrier right now on a supplemental form, they're going to see around 50 to 55% filled out on average. Uh, by taking it online, making it a little bit easier, making things kind of smart map and automatically fill out, uh, you know, we've been able to lift that average closer to 80%. Um, but there's still, you know, 20% of those applications that are just not relevant to most businesses that are going through and filling them out. Uh, so the big thing that we see here is a lot of the intelligence moving from inside the carrier more towards the point of sale when the insured is filling it out. Uh, so today, a lot of the insured, or a lot of the carriers and insurers, um, you know, MGAs as well, have third-party data sources that they're bringing in, right? So they get the fil forms coming in from the agent, from the insured, and they're going and applying, you know, different data sets uh, on those and trying to find out where there's discrepancies or fill in information that's missing. 
Uh, and our vision is to kind of move a lot more of that closer to the insured. So at the point of sale, you're knowing which questions to ask, which ones are irrelevant to this type of business, um, and which stuff you can actually fill in automatically just knowing some basic demographic information about the business. Could we get to the point as well where certain questions trigger either a red flag that, you know, like things need to be done or, or from a marketing opportunity, certain questions could lead towards uh, the agency using it as marketing, um, you know, the ability to cross sell like, Oh, they answered yes on this question. Um, we should really go into asking them questions about their auto or their life insurance or their benefits package. Definitely. I mean, to give you a little bit of a sneak peek on what's on our immediate roadmap and what we're working towards right now is um, we're, we're really getting very heavy into the BI side of things and really the data analysis of everything that's tied to that. Um, you know, to eventually get to the point where, you know, someone's going through Indio, they're a uh, you know, small business just filling out their application, um, but they answer a question about, you know, that maybe it's the their computer equipment or, you know, their, their uh, EDP systems, whatever it might be. Uh, that triggers a something that says, hey, we've noticed that businesses that answer this question, you know, usually have a $2 million cyber limit uh, as well. Do you want to add that to your package? You know, here's similar businesses to yours, just in terms of like by industry, you know, 75% have 2 million, 20% have 4 million, and, you know, 5% might not have any at all. Um, and just really kind of helping that agent um, upsell relevant things that are actually important for that client. Because uh, one of the things we hear all the time is, you know, the agent might see that, hey, this company could probably benefit from this type of insurance, but if they're not adding that upsell in in an environment that kind of provides the data of why, uh, it feels like, oh, I'm trying to be sold right now. It's, and it's less of a sales thing and it needs to turn more into a consultative approach. Uh, and, and benchmarking data is very, very helpful for that. Yeah, completely. I, I get that when... I'm visiting other websites and I'll say like Amazon, for instance, um, you know, it doesn't feel pushy, but I kind of want to, it's kind of useful to know, Hey, people that have purchased this have also purchased this. or people who have looked at this book have also looked at these. Um, they're just making a recommendation. I still get to choose. I can say no if I want, but a lot of times it's like, Oh, uh, I'm in the mood, you know, and, and I, I examine that. So that seems like a, a fine touch and probably something, another selling point for you because, you know, production is so difficult. Um, I would, I would guess agencies are looking for every little thing that could possibly enhance their bottom line. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's nothing that really resonates with the, you know, a purchaser more than seeing somebody in your peer group bought this similar thing, you know, then it's all of a sudden like, Oh, I should probably have that too. Yeah. The fear of missing out. <laughs> <laughs> my, my competitors are buying cyber. Maybe I should buy cyber insurance too. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Um, can we go back all the way to the beginning and talk about um, what you were doing before Indio and how Indio got started? Could you walk us through, um, you know, the sort of how you and Michael met and, how you decided to come into this field. What were, were again, what were some of the, um, the calculations you were making in your head when you decided, uh, yeah, insurance, let's, uh, let's apply technology to that. For sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, so India is actually very sim similar in a lot of ways to my first company. Um, I started about 10 years ago called Advantage Web Tools. Uh, and at the time I uh, owned a web design studio with a, a couple other guys and 
we, uh, we had a client that was doing a lot of uh, debt settlement. Uh, and we walked in there, went in their office, sat down with them. Um, originally, it was supposed to be a marketing website, but we realized there was a, there was a, there was a product that could be built there. And we ended up building um, a CRM for the debt settlement industry that really just kind of sat on top of their existing processes and gave them an easy workflow management to collect information from their clients and then send it to the, the back office for, for settlement and processing. Uh, and so kind of building that and doing the same type of thing where we were going into offices and sitting down with people um, is why we're, when I kind of stumbled on Indio, um, it made a lot of sense to me. Uh, and so prior to, right prior to starting Indio, I was working with uh, a company called 500 Startups. They're a startup accelerator. Um, I think they're the largest VC in the world in terms of uh, investment account. I think they've invested in around 17, 1800 different startups now. Um, and I'd worked with them in Asia, um, kind of running accelerators over there. Uh, and then I'd come to the Bay Area to work on a, a fintech accelerator for them in San Francisco. And uh, one of the first companies in there was, was Mike in Indio. Um, and so we kind of met through that where originally I was sort of the coach, um, just kind of helping them out with some early stage uh, marketing stuff when they were first getting off the ground. Um, and I liked it so much. I got along with the team really well uh, that I wanted to be a part of it as well. Um, and so kind of came on and just started helping out on the product and engineering side. So let's talk about um, entrepreneurship. We have a lot of um, uh, audience members that uh, are either in the middle of startups or wanting to do a startup. Could you, I'm doing one. Um, it, it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart for sure. Can you talk about that? You have, a, you have a couple, do you have more than a couple under your belt? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, you know, uh, what you call a startup, because I, I think if you call, uh, you know, any business that's producing revenue a uh, startup, I've probably uh, close to like 10 now. Okay. Um, I've, I've always had a little bit of like side projects that I was working on, um, oh. you know, just for different things. Okay, so how do you take an idea in a side project? How do you, uh, how do you get it to the next level? And what are the trade-offs? What are the trade-offs with time, money? Um, you know, kind of talk about what someone, someone that's thinking about starting, they have a great idea. They want, they're, they're like, I want to do this. I really feel compelled to do this. Can you talk about what they should be thinking about as they're, as they're developing that idea and as they're trying it, trying to take it to the next level um, as from someone that has a few under their belts, you know, uh, talk us through what needs to, what, what you need to be thinking about. Yeah, so for me now, uh, I think the most important thing and what, what I uh, kind of look at first, and actually this is one of the things that drew me to, to India, was just the, the market size and the demand, right? Because um, there's, there's a ton of ideas out there. Um, and I think previously, uh, you know, seven or eight years ago, a lot of what I was doing was a lot more of if I had an idea that was like, oh, I would use this, this would be a cool tool for me, whether it's a you know, to-do list helper or um, way back when I had a dating app. And you know, it was really more of like, okay, this is something that I want to use. And then when you go out there and start trying to market it to other people, uh, it just doesn't work as well. And so now I think my approach is much more on assess the market, assess demand, find out how much it's going to cost to actually acquire customers and what they would pay you kind of almost get like the financial economics in place before actually really trying to scale up and, you know, implement even the first, uh, MVP of it. Um, and so, one of the things that I've done that has worked really well is there's a website called Unbounce um, that lets you send it's unbounce.com, lets you set up a landing page really easy. They have a bunch of templates in there. 
Um, you know, I think it's $50 a month or something. So you, for $50, you can set up, get a landing page, get a domain, um, you know, have a website that has whatever you're advertising on it, have your kind of core pitch on that. Uh, and then what I would do is I go right away and run Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads targeted at the people that I think would be most likely to buy. And at that point, I'm just really trying to assess to see what is the, the uh, demand for it, right? Are you able to even get a lot of clicks on the Facebook ads? Are you able to buy those uh, relatively cheap? You know, and then are people coming to the website and are they requesting more info? Uh, and then kind of the next test that I would run is I'd put actual prices on it. So I'd say, you know, whatever you're selling, it's $9 a month, right? And then see how many people click the button that says buy now. And then you could just say, hey, it's not available yet. Please put your name in a waiting list. But you're really just kind of getting an indication on how easy is this going to be to get our first few customers. And it sort of just takes a lot of that market research and that, you know, building a product and trying to get everything out the door before you're actually ready. Um, and just puts it all in a short timeline that you can do all of this in, you know, less than a week. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. It really is. Um, does it, is it, does it become obvious? Like you you talked about the Facebook ads and some of the other stuff for you, for your experience and the ones that you've done and the ones that you've expanded, was it obvious that, Hey, there's, there is something here. It, it's, it's not, um, it's not anecdotal evidence. I, I think I, I think I need to dig into this a little bit more. What's that fine line? Um, you know, what's the what's the statistical return you have to get before you say, yeah, I I I, I think there's something here, or or the opposite. Um, it's it's not the it's not what I expected. Yeah, so I think it kind of depends on the uh, you know the scope and, and what you're trying to tackle too, right? Because. Um, like for India, for example, I don't know how well that uh, that unbounce example would have worked um, as you're going after a very niche industry. And it's also something where, you know, insurance agents aren't necessarily looking for software um, when they're on Facebook or LinkedIn. And it's probably also a little bit harder to reach them. Um, so there's kind of like a, a few different ways you can look at it, right? So on, on that side, and for a lot of the side projects and little businesses that I run before off of landing pages, it really just comes down to getting about a thousand to 2000 people through the site, right? So once you've got 2000 people that have visited the site, you have a really good idea of what your cost to acquire is. And you have a really good idea of what the interest level is. And from there, I would just kind of build the next step of it. Um, with regards to Indio and kind of uh, what we saw here was, you know, you, you go in and it's much more, it was much more an assessment of just the economics of an insurance agency and just realizing, you know, there's a lot of account managers that are spending 70% of their time on clerical work uh, and clerical work that a lot of times is actually pretty standardized. You know, you're sending the same pre-renewal checklist to everybody in a certain division. Um, you're, you're doing the same uh, tasks to go through and, and market, you know, that insurance applications. And the only thing that's really different are the questions on the forms. Uh, and so in that one, it was, it was much more of like, okay, you know, you have a market size of 300 plus billion dollars a year of commercial insurance majority of that vast majority is going directly through an agent. Um, and then when you go into an agency, you know, you have a significant amount of the staff that is spending too much time doing manual servicing on things. And then you add that to kind of the eventual expansion of, all right, this, this is an industry that doesn't have anything direct right now from the agent. Uh, and there's a big gap there in terms of client experience uh, that, that is missing. And, and there's a lot of need there. So the, I guess there's kind of a, a macro way of looking at it where you're looking at like the big numbers of how big this market size could be. And then there's also the, you know, running small experiments to see what the outcome of those is. 
So how have things changed in the past year? Are, um, I, I'm particularly interested in, um, I, I've, I, I hear your name much more often um, than I did a year ago. So that's obviously good. Um, clearly, you know, uh, Brett Fowler giving an endorsement is, uh, is a thumbs up. I didn't even bring up India, so he found you on his own. Um, are you, are, do you have an external sales force? Uh, you know, is, uh, you know, your, your business base is growing. How much of it is just, you're just expanding and people are just finding you and there's just, uh, Indio is spreading and there's a word of mouth. How much do you still need to go out and, uh, kind of shake the tree a little bit and make some apples fall? <laughs> great. I, I like that analogy. Um, yeah, the, the last year has been great. Uh, you know, I think it, it really, like the, the number of clients that we work with has, probably like seven or eight X, um, since last fall. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of that has just been, uh, it's interesting, but you know, insurance is a very much so a relationship, a real relationship based business. Uh, and so conferences, um, you know, just meeting with people, uh, you know, I've done a, a several tours now over the U S where I've just met with a bunch of different insurance agencies. Um, just kind of those in-person interactions and really building good relationships. And I think, uh, you know, getting a lot of referrals from that. Um, and then we do have a, a, a great sales team as well that's following up on those, those leads from conferences. Um, you know, we do a lot of online marketing now as well. Um, there's just been a lot of, uh, I think it's just momentum, right? Um, I think it's also an industry that, you know, there's a lot of insurance agents out there, but it's also very uh, kind of aggregated in terms of the different conferences that people go to, the different softwares they use. Um, and as you kind of dig into that, uh, you know, it, it builds a little bit more of this network effect. Um, and so, yeah, really it's been awesome this last year to see how that's built and, and hoping it continues to grow that way. Okay. So I'm going to give you a platform. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I, I know for sure that a lot of insurance agencies listen to this particular podcast. So give me uh, one of the more common objections you get when you try to pitch Indio and then give the rebuttal to that. So we'll, we'll, we'll allow this podcast to almost act like a, a mini sales pitch so hopefully, uh, agents, if you're listening, if uh, Adam does a good job here, I need you to go online and and uh, and reach out and give Indio a try. But Adam, yeah, what give it? What's what's one common objection you have, and then how would you overcome that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that the biggest one that we see the most often is I don't get how this is different than my agency management system, right? I have an AMS, you know, I've got Epic, I've got AMS three sixty, I've got Sagita. And I'm doing all my forms and applications in there today. Uh, and typically this is, you know, the, the agency owner or somebody that's a little bit higher up that's, that, that uh, gives us this objection. And, uh, and, and, and sorry to interrupt you, but to me, that seems like a, a realistic objection. You know, if uh, I'm not, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm not super tech savvy. So why wouldn't an agency management system be able to do all the stuff that Indio does? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, great question. Um, yes, yeah, so... Really, the, the difference between an AMS and NDU is that we really sit on top of that workflow, um, and we also uh, connect to the client, as well as on the carrier side, you know, for pushing information to them. Uh, and that's, that's the big difference, is that, you know, if you're in your AMS, uh, that's a singular experience for that agent. And if you're doing a lot of small business, and you're taking all the answers over the phone, uh, that might be sufficient enough. Uh, but it's also something that you can't scale very well right? You're, you, you have to manually go in and key in the information for each one. It's not the insured that's providing that information. It's, you know, your account managers that are putting them themselves. And the other big thing is 
you know, your agency management system is only working off of accords and only accord data. And, you know, 50% of uh, insurance policies require a supplemental or some inform- other information, you know, besides the basic accords. Uh, and so really what Indio does to solve this is, you know, we have 3,000 different carrier applications. We have, you know, questionnaires that will fill into those accords. So you can send a questionnaire and those supplementals to your client through Indio uh, and get those all filled out um, without you having to go and type it all in your agency management system and generate it out of there. Plus your system's getting smarter by the day, yeah. knowing, knowing which questions are more important than others. And then as we also described uh, the possibility to flag things, possibility of, um, Hey, you answered this question. What, you know, that makes us believe that you might be interested in this or this, uh, this other thing might be a problem, which I know agency management systems do not do. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing too, is we do integrate with the agency management systems. Yeah. So we're really kind of a layer on top. That's, you know, bringing the different parties in um, for communication and collaboration. So, you know, when you start a renewal in Indio, uh, it's going to pull the information from your agency management system to pre-fill everything. So it really just saves you a lot of time as well. Yeah, completely, completely. Um, wow, that was great. Um, that was, I learned a lot about Indio again. Um, I always, you know, if more than a few months go by, uh, things really change. So I'd like to transition over uh, to the more personal side of the podcast and ask you a couple of uh, personal questions. Um, what, so you're a technologist. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in your answer in this. Do you have any tools or techniques that you use to stay productive and or organized? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, um, so one of my favorite tools I've been using a lot over the last uh, year or two here is called Cloud App. Um, and it's really just a, a simple, real simple app, but it makes it really simple to uh, capture screenshots as well as uh, GIFs. So uh, you can imagine working on, on software, you know, as we find bugs, uh, you know, as I'm testing kind of new builds of things and noticing features that might need a little, be a little bit different, uh, a lot of times it's not easy to necessarily describe that in English, right? You want to have uh, an actual like, video of what's happening. So Cloud App makes it really easy to kind of like snap a quick GIF, um, which is just a short you know, animated image of here's what's happening, here's the problem I'm seeing. And it's something where I just have a keyboard shortcut set up for it. You know, I hit two buttons, I can take that screenshot, let it record 10 seconds, and then you know, it automatically copies the link to my clipboard. So Really like that. Um, on the uh, just general like task management stuff, I use Evernote for pretty much anything. Um, you know, any notes and meetings, one-on-ones, anything is, is going in my Evernote. Um, and then based on, uh, you know, if it's something that's just for me, it's probably going to stay in Evernote. Uh, if it's something that needs to be shared with the company, uh, we have a, another piece of software called Notion, which is really good, like Team Wiki. Um, so it makes it really easy for the whole team to see, you know, different things from, I think we have everything from our, like just our, our onboarding guide for people that first join Indio and kind of get them familiar with the industry to, uh, you know, um, I think it's got everything in there from just like client feedback. That's really important that we've categorized in there to specs on upcoming features to release notes. Um, it's all kind of organized in that internal wiki. And then we also use Asana as well, um, for task management. I use that for kind of all my own personal tasks and we also use it for each one of our teams here as well. I'm going to have to check out Notion. I had never heard of that before. That sounds awesome. That's uh, 
something that we're struggling with as well. Having have a, a team wiki like that, um, pretty cool. Uh, and, and I use Cloud App, so that's good. I'm going to put all of those on the show notes for anyone that's listening. You can just go to uh, go to the show site and uh, and click on that. And Adam, final question is about books. Um, I uh, it's self serving. It's partially a self serving question. Um, I don't have time to do the research on books, so I always ask every guest uh, as a shortcut. Are there any books that you've read that you have found to be uh, particularly influential in your business and or personal lives? Oh yeah, this is uh, this is this question could go on for a while. We could do a podcast just on this. Um, we should. So- we should. Oh. I I, th- I think that sh- I should tee that up and just get like a bunch of guests on, and we'll just all sit around and we'll uh, we'll just talk books. For sure. Yeah. So I, I've always been a, a really avid reader. Uh, I love reading. Um, it's kind of my. I prefer books to like watching documentaries. It just works better uh, for my pace. And uh, so I, I'm usually reading at least you know twenty thirty books a year. Um, I think my, my favorite books from this past year, uh, one called Red Notice, which is actually very relevant to kind of what's going on in politics right now, but it, it basically just talks about a, uh, this hedge fund manager that um, went in right after the Soviet Union fell and uh, started like buying stocks in, in Russia and then sort of chronicles all the corruption that he saw inside of Russia as a result of that. Uh, it was a really, really fascinating book and it was written in like 2014. Uh, but the crazy thing is like all the things that were in that book, um, like Putin named this guy like three, three or four months ago at the Helsinki thing. Like there's just like all these kind of modern sort of ties back into stuff that happened in that book 20 years ago. And when it was written four years ago to today, that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, and then on kind of the uh, more, more self-help side, my favorite book is called Multipliers. Um, and it's a, it's a great book. Basically it kind of goes into there's being two sort of, leadership styles. There's, there's people that are a little bit of detractors and people that are multipliers. And the difference is detractors are people that, you know, are a little bit more trying to take credit. They're trying to do everything themselves. Um, you know, they, they defer to their team as kind of a last result. And then multipliers are people that are, are really trying to figure out how to, to delegate effectively, empower their team members, um, you know, and make sure that everybody shares in the credit for things. And there's a lot more pieces of that, but it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of us uh, tend to naturally sort of um, drift towards the, the detractor side just as way of, you know, culture. And if you see anything about business on TV, it's always, you know, uh, like Glengarry Ross or, or Boiler Room where, you know, it's more of like shark eat shark. Um, and uh, that's not really the way that, you know, people work well together. Uh, so that, that book was really, really helpful to me um, when I first read it. And it's something that I keep reading, you know, every year or two, I kind of go back and page through it more. Fantastic. Uh, that couldn't that book recommendation probably couldn't have come at a better time because that's what I'm struggling with right now, is uh, being able to let go. Um, it's just so difficult, you know. You you've gone. I've gone so long with doing everything myself. It's just hard to train someone else, and then hard to kind of uh, you know uh, shift everything over to to the new people and just allowing them to be able to, to do it without me sticking my nose in and, uh, and, and trying to take it all back. So I will uh, add that to my list. I'll put both books on the show notes and Adam, um, thank you so much. Very enlightening. Um, I feel, I truly feel like I got a better view of the future, um, in a way where, um, you know, 
just how how the the process of information from a client through the agency system is going to function and all of the the fascinating ways that Indio can participate, but you know, just technology can make that process better. Every time I feel like, oh, um, it's we've gotten pretty good, you know, we're getting better, but we've gotten pretty good. I always talk to people like you, and I realize, wow, there's still like a massive leap that we can make here. There's a lot more that we can do. So, thank you very much for taking time uh, on the Friday after Thanksgiving. I apologize for that, but thank you for taking time to talk to us about that. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Nick. Uh, So my guest this week has been Adam Bratt of Indio Technologies, and I will have all of his information on the show notes. So go to the link. Um, If you're on iTunes, please give us a rating. Please give us a like. Please give us a comment. and, uh, And we'll see you next time.